wait till we get this all together. I'm so excited today. Um, so this is episode six of Wonder Women in Business podcast. I am thrilled to have Rachel Bronchurl on with me today. With both of our be- busy schedules, it's a miracle we made it. But Rachel has a lot to say today. She's doing so many amazing things in women's leadership, in helping women, in supporting women. To me, she is the optimal person to have on my podcast because it's about women supporting women. And I've had the pleasure of knowing Rachel for a very long time. And she really is a leader in in the world of women's entrepreneurship. So welcome, Rachel, to the show. So thrilled to be here, Jasmine. I'm just wondering, do I get one of those Wonder Women outfits at the end? Like yes, you can have a key. Well, you could have this. You could have, we could get say the bracelets. Actually, it's a great idea. But I was thinking about a cape with like a big R on the back. I would love, totally love that. I'm sure it would come in handy in a lot of business settings. Absolutely. All right, so I want to get right into it. I know that we'll probably go over time, which is totally fine with me. But I want to get, because there's so much to say. So, you know, I've been very involved with you. And, you know, so I'm very familiar with your books, your speaking, a lot going on. Um, but for our audience here, you know, I think that you're definitely at the forefront of women helping women, you know, where it counts, which is really getting personal and what you call under the covers, you're going to talk about this, but helping women understand their sexuality, helping women understand what's going on in the world of women's health and female sexual health. Um, and, you know, the big question I think my audience would have right off the bat is, why did you decide to go down this particular road and what propels you about it? The propelling part is very easy. The how I got here is a little bit more circuitous. So I've spent my career building brands and businesses, both for myself and other people, um, Fortune 500 companies and working on women's businesses or businesses that affect women's lives essentially from the tops of their heads to the tips of their toes. And about 11 years ago, just serendipitously, a venture capitalist gave me a business plan and said, this isn't for us, but do you and Mary, my longtime business partner, do you guys want to take a look at this? Long story short, Mary and I in 2008 wound up raising quite a lot of venture capital and we bought an asset, which was ultimately a product that improved um, arousal, desire and satisfaction for women of all ages and all life stages. So that's when I became a vagrepreneur. Now, what was familiar to me was I've worked with businesses or for businesses that affect women um, and the idea of how do you offer them something and understand what they're thinking about so they can make a choice that's valuable and improves their life was something very familiar. But being sort of in the trenches, if you will, um, in female sexual and reproductive health was newer for me. And that's when we became vagrepreneurs, uh, which is a, a term that was created by the brilliant journalist Abby Allen, and she was nice enough to let me trademark. And basically what that means is I focus on companies and businesses and brands, large and small. So again, from Fortune 100 to Venture Back that deal with products and solutions for women's lives anywhere from menstruation to menopause. And let's just broadly call that the entire spectrum of their reproductive and sexual health needs. And what happens when you're in this space, not that all business isn't um, motivating and driving, is what you find when you get in this space is that you're really dealing with issues that are so personal and so core and so systemic to women's lives and women's happiness that you really, you feel like you're doing something that's bigger than you, that's bigger than business. 
So often we refer to, you know, business as a passion. And I think that word is sometimes used um, essentially to, to undermine women in the workplace sometimes to make it sound like they're too emotional. But working in the space and seeing the difference you can make when you get the right product or you get funding for the right company so that women have many more choices than what they currently have, that's an amazing experience. And every day in one way or another, I'm either meeting a woman or a person whose life was affected or dealing with another company who's focused on issues in this space and it's incredibly energizing. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's a, a road that most people won't take, you know? And so I can see your passion behind it and all the things that you've done. So, you know, let's get into orgasmic leadership a, a little bit here. Okay. Orgasmic leadership is just chock full of great information from leaders in the women's health industry. And I know that you had a real mission behind putting that together and you had some amazing women that are involved in it. But for those women out there that haven't had the chance to read it yet, could you kind of give us a little bit of a summary on some key points in that book related to both the industry of female sexual health, as well as maybe some nuggets about how women can use the book to build their own businesses. Okay, perfect. So basically the book is a result of my sort of work and professional experience, as well as the result of um, interviews from over three dozen academics, healthcare practitioners, um, entrepreneurs, and other folks who are involved in female health and wellness in some way. And basically what the book is meant to be is to shine a light on the trials, tribulations, and triumphs that people in this space, not only women, but you know, primarily women, experience as they're trying to build businesses. And the focus, the business focus is, well, I, sh I look at it from the lens of people in these businesses and in this space, I look at it in the context of what are these businesses and what are these business leaders doing to take advantage of existing business trends to build businesses in this space. So what are changes in technology, whether that means an actual computer technology, an app, or maybe it means improvements in materials technology that mean products are more absorbent for different aspects of, of women's lives. Are there new distribution models? You know, we've seen many businesses rise right. up in the past um, couple of years. Obviously, direct-to-consumer isn't new, but subscription, personalized, customized, direct-to-consumer menstrual solutions are different. Um, are there, there are new models of social impact, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but it's way beyond buy a pair of shoes, give a pair of shoes, which is a terrific model. Yeah, what we see in women's health um, is a lot more of, you know, buy or make a menstrual pad, use a menstrual pad, and use that business and that learning to create an economic engine so that you might be able to change the cycle of your life. So just to be specific in that particular area, in many developed countries, women um, and girls lose or miss uh, three days to a month every month of school or work. And as you can imagine, that kind of disruption would make it difficult to continue your studies without a lot of interruptions. It might make it difficult to keep a job, especially if you know that you have to show up every day and you don't have the right materials, whether it's tampons, pads, a menstrual cup, whatever it is, to go into a public setting and do whatever is required of you. So a lot of the new models that we're seeing are, as I said, not only providing a solution to the 
challenge or I don't like to think of menstruation as a problem, but to yeah. the situation. Pretty natural. So they have menstrual protect, protection, but yeah. also then maybe teaching people how to make it and sell it and or keep their job or get a job or do things that will expand their possibilities. Mm. Well, that's, that is, that's amazing. I think that women, you're touching on some sensitive subjects here, but I think they're very important to get into the whole meaning behind women in the workplace, the things that women have to deal with outside of just career development, right? I mean, there's right. this side of us that we have to deal with. And I love the fact that you're kind of not only making this public and going through solutions and problems, but making a, a difference. Are there any specific companies that you've worked with or let's say startup entrepreneurs in this space that you think are, are doing a great job? Sure, and some are very timely. When I started working on this book um, in 2016, 2017, we had already, Mary and I had already built our business and sold it and we were staying in the space of working in female health. But what's really been exciting for me, certainly with people that I've had the opportunity to work with or that I know in the space or that I, had, I could collaborate with on the book, is that people are really doing amazing things. A couple of key points. You know, this concept of a rising tide raises all boats is especially true in this space. So mm -hmm. there are more women. There are more creative sources of capital. There are more companies being started. There's more muscle. There's a greater population of people working on this. And just to highlight a few um, who are in the book and also entrepreneurs that I know well, is in the past two weeks, uh, the founders of Dame, which started with making um, vibrators, um, sex toys designed by women for women. They sued the MTA, which is responsible for determining what ads are allowed to be seen in the subway. Um, mm -hmm. Claiming that you know, their First Amendment rights were being violated because they weren't given the same access as other brands. This happened with Thinks, which is period-proof underwear. This happened with Unbound, which sells a range of okay. um, toys. But what's happening now, what we're starting to see is a coalescence of you know, this concept of from network, we're mad as hell and we're not gonna take it anymore, but instead of getting mad, we're gonna get busy. So now there's so much happening in terms of building awareness about the limited access or the less reliable access that a lot of these businesses have to traditional media channels like Facebook, like the New York subway system. And the list goes on and on. And if you remember, one of the ways we built our initial business around um, the products Zestra was when we found that 95% of, 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 of the real estate in advertising, whether it was networks, um, cable shows, websites, radio, when 95% of those rejected us, we said, well, there's got to be a story here about the disparity between men and women's advertising. And that's how we built that business starting in 2010. Flash forward. 2019, this month, in June, there's a lawsuit about how Dame can't advertise in the subway station. It's bringing up other companies who face the same challenges. Hmm. And by the time the MTA agreed to it, um, there were so many restrictions that the content didn't even make sense in terms of how they would communicate to their audience. Two months ago, we're sitting on the stage, I'm sitting with a bunch of other entrepreneurs um, on the stage at South by Southwest, and two days earlier, a big article had come out in CN on CNBC that mm -hmm. said that companies that were advertising um, vaginal dryness, their ads were being rejected 
because that was deemed too factual. So let me just say in my work, I've spoken to thousands of women and I guarantee not a single one of them would use the word sexy to describe vaginal dryness. <laughs> and what's interesting, we had a whole long discussion and, and this is something that's very active in the space right now is, is that an algorithm or is that the human interpretation of an algorithm? Right, that's funny because that's what I was thinking. So for instance, when you look at the erectile dysfunction drugs, which don't face that same challenge, um, it's often because they're evaluated under a category of family planning, mm. which isn't deemed too sexual or too explicit. So right. there are a lot of these systemic barriers that I and other entrepreneurs and folks in large companies are facing to say, you know, let the consumer decide. Let them decide if they want to buy this product or if they want to learn about the service or they want more information about their health. Why should sort of the powers that be, whoever they are, decide what messages could even get across? And I will tell you, and I've spoken to, again, dozens of entrepreneurs in this space, if not more, that literally anytime they're in a setting where they can tell their story about their company and about their product, we all have the same experience. It's like a Who concert. You feel like you're being trampled. Literally, when you have an environment and a platform that allows you to talk about this, it's amazing. And the other thing that's very timely is Jackie Rotman, mm -hmm. who's this amazing person in the space, just published an op-ed this week in the New York Times. Really, you know, the title was Vaginas Deserve Ads Too. And in her commentary to some of the people in the, in the sector, she wrote, I know the real world word is vulva, but I'm gonna let them go with it. So there was an, an, an op-ed about all these challenges that Dave has faced, that Things has faced, that Unbound has faced, that you know, we face, that many other companies has fa have faced, just in the sheer effort to try to get their message out about what their product does. Mm. And then you add to that, that many of these companies can't get payment processors, to take credit cards, that they have difficulty finding bank accounts. Really? There's sort of this fundamental environmental um, barrier that makes it harder to build businesses in this space. And that's why the people who succeed and the people that I get to work with, you know, you have to be a force of nature to, to stand up and stick with it as long as it takes to make progress in the space, which thankfully we're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but it sounds to me like a lot of what you're saying has to do with awareness in, in, in a sense, in a sense, because you're talking about systems and you're talking about people's perceptions and you're talking about making change, really. So what do you think that women can do, even if they're not in the industry? You know, like, like I'm not in your industry or my audience, a lot of these women are not in your industry. But what do you think that they can do, like to raise their voice to help drive awareness or like you said, let the consumers speak? What, or what have you seen? So a couple of things. I mean, you could aggressively look for these products and find them. They're out there, you know, mm -hmm. and you can buy them. Um, on the sort of advocacy side, there are a number of movements that are really being pushed forward by advocates and people um, in regulatory positions and, and focusing on legislation. Take, for instance, the tampon tax. That's a, uh, a hashtag that's meant to broadly describe yeah. the fact that, you know, in general, there are products um, in certain categories, when they're sold for men and women, the men's products are significantly less than the women's products. Mm. With tampons specifically, um, there's sales tax on tampons um, in many states, you know, yeah. more than 30 states. 
And there's a big effort right now um, going state by state with lobbying to say, you know what? How does this have a sales tax if erectile dysfunction pills don't have a sales tax? How do you, how do you justify the disparity? And so one of the ways that people can get involved is identify where these issues are happening mm. and you know, sort of join the movement, whether it's a hashtag or whether it's writing to your um, senator or congressperson. Right, there are it ways affects, it affects that Yeah, the other way in my mind is what I call, I didn't coin the phrase, but conscious capitalism. Look for the products you want, buy them, review them, share them, talk about them yeah. so that other yeah. people are aware that there are solutions. There's no magic here. I mean, if we are able to create the same kind of word of mouth and online ambassadorship that we've seen in other categories, then we're off to the races. <coughs> Excuse me. That's okay. Have some water. <laughs> so a couple questions that come to mind as you were speaking. Uh, one is about, you know, your background obviously is heavy in big pharma. And you're now in a space, well, you're probably on a bridge between big pharma and these, and female, am I right? Female health startups? Absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah. it crosses a lot of boundaries. And right. I'll let you finish. Right, no, no, okay. so, so you're crossing boundaries. So I can see how you are so important to support, <laughs> but no, really, you're, to leverage your expertise on the pharma side for the startup community, right? I get that side. But I'm wondering how... Um, do you see the reverse happening in terms of are there changes being made at Big Pharma right now in the women's health space because of the obviously changes in technology like Femtech, for example? Like how quick are they to make changes at some companies? Like I know with, that you did the, you know, obviously South by Southwest with P&G, which was great. So, you know, are they, what are they doing or what are companies like them doing? To be so, more innovative and, and faster, agile, I guess. Yeah. So question. to talk about the intersections, one of the places that I play a lot is I basically partner large companies, whether they're consumer products, pharmaceutical, or they're all under the same umbrella with the startups that I see and get exposed to every day. So in terms of what some companies are doing, lots of the large companies now have corporate venture capital, and it is hard to ignore the value of this space. So whenever we should start, you know, roll the camera back a little bit, but really start with, let's say you don't care at all about female health, and that's fine. These are huge problems that need to be solved that had enormous economic opportunity. So 43% of women have sexual concerns and difficulties at some point in their lives. That's 40% more than the men who suffer from ED. So if you just look at the numbers, 50% of pregnancies every year in the U.S., close to 50% are unwanted or mistimed. A third of women never experience orgasm, a third of women experience incontinence symptoms, and you know, there's probably some crossover there. Yeah. Fewer than 25% require sex ed, and those that do, some subset don't even require it to be factually or scientifically accurate. So these are enormous problems. So if you're looking for white space as a pharmaceutical company, or a Fortune 500 large company, you can't avoid these numbers. What companies like Procter specifically are doing is they're taking a harder look at particular aspects of women's lives. So they just launched this brand called Pepper and Wits, which is focused on What's menopausal women. Pepper and Wits. It's in test markets right now. But so they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're creating a lot of products to help women who are experiencing menopause. 
they have startup incubators. And I think because money talks more than anything else, they yep. recently acquired um, a company called This Is L, which is one of these newer um, right. vegetarian uh, ventures, which has taken a different approach to how they talk about menstruation, how they develop their products, how they provide their products, and how they distribute that. That means something when a company with the scale and scope and heft of Procter says this is an area that I'm interested in. But in terms of the back and forth, I'm often at that intersection because the large companies are looking for a new perspective and a new right. way and a place to grow. So I'm often asked to find, can you find me startups in female health? Can you find me startups in particular subset of female health? And I'm able to create those partnerships because what's happened over the past few years, again, is the business opportunity has become so huge and yeah. the voices have become so much louder and the number of opportunities have become so much greater that if you're looking for growth, you know, it's, and you're in anything related to this space, it's difficult to avoid this no matter how uncomfortable you are. So yeah. I think that the size of the prize is starting to break through so that people are willing to spend time and money looking for and investing in these companies. Okay, good. Well, that's good news. I mean, of course, the menopausal market, you can't, there's nowhere you can go, ladies, right, where you don't see ads on that or new companies or new products. Every time you go into a health food store, you see something. So but I on the other hand, every time you speak to women in that age group, they say, where do I go? I don't have any information. Absolutely. Most of my audience is in that age group, but 40, 40 plus, let's say, you know. Young woman, but these things happen. So, um, well, and when you start thinking about it from perimenopause, it could be a, a long haul. And now, finally, there's starting to be enough of a volume of information that people can find it and they can find products. And it's great to have places where you can talk about it and learn about it and find better solutions. One of the things that is so cool to use a very scientific and technical term yes. that's so cool. <laughs> about this space um, is that historically companies have looked at women as users of products. So right, what I mean by that yeah. is you're a menstruating woman, you need these kinds of products. You're a woman who's trying to get pregnant, you need these kinds of products. You're a woman who's trying to prevent sexually transmitted diseases or use birth control, you need these kind of products. But now companies are starting to look at her, the royal her, over the course of the complexity of what is her sexual and reproductive life. So right. take an example around incontinence. Obviously, um, after childbirth, many women experience incontinence and leaking. Hmm. Now, the cause is obviously specifically related to the experience of being pregnant and carrying a baby. Similar, but for different causes, when women start to go through menopause and their estrogen level drops, they experience some of the same symptoms. So rather than saying, Interesting. you're a pregnant woman, you're a menopausal woman, you're a woman who's struggling with incontinence. It doesn't yeah. much matter why, but it turns out some of the solutions that we can come up with are common regardless of cause. Mm. So looking at her as much more of a whole woman. And then the second huge trend that I'm so excited about, again, especially in that space, is looking at other benefits that you can offer. So historically, when you're talking about incontinence, it was how many leaks did you have? How many pads did you have? Mm. Now with all the devices and the new approaches, 
where you talk about strengthening um, the pelvic floor, you're also talking about improving intimacy and sexual function. To me, in my space, that's like a cataclysmic change that we go from speaking about leaks to how do you treat symptoms so that ultimately your intimate health or your intimate experience is better. Absolutely. Well, I think, yeah, that's the key, right? It's, it's not just treating a symptom from a medical standpoint, but understanding the person. So I think that's what you're talking about. It seems to make a lot of sense. So do you think that, um, because we're all women here, right? So do you think that some of this is coming, so I can be direct, you know? So do you think that this is a lot, some of this is coming from and hopefully supported by, because of your book, I think I'm asking this question, gynecologists and OBGYNs in this space, are they, are they really helping out female, let's say OBGYNs? Are there any men involved as far as doctors go? Like, Tell me about what the doctors are doing. So some, like in any therapeutic area, some are amazingly progressive and some, you know, are less so. Historically, in the uh, data that we've seen, is only 3 to 5% of obstetricians or gynecologists speak to their patients about sexual enjoyment. Now, are they speaking about menopause? Maybe. Are they speaking about disease prevention, fertility, infertility? Possibly. But the idea of sort of the positive size of, you know, how good could this be or how might you think about ways to enhance this, that conversation, except in a relatively small population, has not been happening that much. And part of that was because there were no options. Now that every day we see a new company coming up with a new product or service, there's a whole lot more to talk about. So historically, you come in, you want something for arousal. Well, you know, I don't have much to tell you as a physician. Uh, and again, there are a few that there are, you know, a handful, probably a dozen who have been very vocal in over the course of their professional careers as to how important this is. So I think there's more women in this age, there's more conversation, there's more money, and there are more interested parties. So collectively, this ecosystem is, is gathering strength and speed and force. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And I think it sounds like it's just more of a matter of time and a more a matter of structuring systems, right? To get it to that point so that, for example, the next time you walk into your gynecologist, you might see a, a sign or a campaign about, about either the products or the movement and maybe that doctor will be educated <laughs> to talk about it, we, right? We can hope, we can hope. Well, yeah, I mean, I come from a family of doctors, so I understand this point and I think you know, what you're doing is great, but like you said, it's a, it's a big ecosystem and it takes everyone. Listen, yeah, we're talking about a category and a topic, you know, that people approach so differently depending on where in the world they're from, the culture that they were raised in, whether that's a human culture or a religious culture, what their values are, you know, what their background is, how their families and how their maybe organized religions or just groups that they're in, think about sex. And one of the challenges that we have, and one of the reasons I'm so happy to be in the conversation, is that at least for the last two decades, the language of arousal, and to some extent, sexuality in general, has been driven by the erectile dysfunctions of the world, by Cialis Levitra, you know, bigger, longer, stronger for our erections. And big surprise, it turns out that women don't actually talk about sex in general. I'm not saying there aren't any women who do, but in general, do not talk about sport of sex as a performance activity. Right. You know, so the language and the vocabulary and the conversation that we've 
inherited had, was not heretofore up to the task. And one of the things that's amazing about the companies that are being, being started and built is that they're talking to women in a different voice, in a different way, with different language, with more product choices to make it easier to find a way to enter into the conversation. Yeah, I love it. So let's talk about women that might be watching and listening today that might be interested in getting involved in this space from a business standpoint. What are some tips you have for them in terms of, you know, if they might say, you know what, this sounds really cool. I want to get involved too. Maybe I want to start a female sexual health company or product company. Tell, you know, do you have any resources, ideas for them or websites to take a look at or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, the first thing I would do is just um, start to do a Google alert for female sexual health. Every day there's another article about a company, about an issue, about a drug that's in development. So there's just a lot in the news right now. And I, I'd say if you do this and cover even the last four weeks, you'll learn a lot. Um, you know, people obviously can reach out to me. They can reach out, I'm sure, um, to most of the entrepreneurs who are in the book. It's a very collaborative space. And again, people are motivated to change the dialogue, improve the dialogue, and improve access. So there's sort of a common goal. There are a lot of um, organizations that have sprung up to create environments where people can talk about this. One um, is Women of Sex Tech, which is re basically women a community. Women in Sex Tech or Women, women of, of Sex Tech? W-O-S-T. Okay. Women around the world who are creating businesses. Some aspect, it doesn't have to be, you know, sex toys or menopause, but are in this space. There's a Women of Wearables community, same thing, which is focused not just on um, sex tech or femtech, tech, but women in the digital space. There are a number of uh, organizations and funding sources that are either created or built to support female entrepreneurs. Um, one of the things that I really love is um, Springboard, which is an organization that's been around for right. almost Springboard, correct? Yeah, that supports women entrepreneurs. They have a particular focus on women in tech and a subset of that in femtech. Um, Portfolia is a collection of angel funds. They specifically have a fund that's focused on femtech, where they're looking at companies in that space. So the issue won't be where do I find information. The issue will be where. I stop? You know, how do I narrow this down? How do I um, choose? And because so many of these products, when they are able to get to market, are sold online, you know, just search. Search for menstrual products, search for incontinence devices, search for anything that is a, is a description or a solution for a product you might have, and you'll see in any space half a dozen, if up to dozens of companies. That wasn't the case, I'm going to say, three years ago. It might not even have been the case two years ago. Yeah. And so what about, um, you had said, these are great resources. So if, if somebody just has like kind of a question, are you open to having them contact you? Absolutely. So anyone can contact me um, okay. on all the, all the social networks at RB Sherall. You know, if you look up orgasmic leadership or go to my website, Spark Solutions for Growth, you'll find me. And I, I love talking about this. I, wake up some days and pinch myself that this is my job that I get to talk about. You're doing, what, you're doing what you love. So we'll send out all of your links to, to everyone okay. afterwards, but there are Great. a couple more questions that I have for you. Um, okay. I want to shift gears for a second. 
and talk about what I call are your Rachel talks. <laughs> so I know that you speak everywhere and it's just amazing I have you on the podcast today. You are everywhere, you travel so much, you're having major impact. So talk a little bit about your general talks that you do at universities and conferences and what those look like and who they affect. Okay, so in broad strokes, I tend to talk about leadership, entrepreneurship, women in business, and then the space of female health. And really my focus is using this category or this marketplace um, as a lens is there are a lot of idiosyncratic challenges of being in the space. And so I use that to say, how do you overcome challenges in building a business, whether it's in sex tech or something else? How do you figure out what the conversation is? How do you identify your target? How do you get access to distribution channels? How do you get access to media channels? But again, helping people walk through the fundamentals of building a business and yeah. it see through the lens of a business that in my mind, having worked in hundreds of categories, is particularly unique and has its own set of challenges. And we haven't spent much time in the call today talking about access to funding. As I said, everything else in this space is continuing to get better and fundraising is no exception. But in 2008, when I was raising money in Silicon Valley during the biggest uh, recession we had seen in quite a long time, talking oh, yeah. about vaginas, that, that helps you build a thick skin. The second is really, how do you lead? How do you talk about what it is you're trying to do? And to me, everything ultimately and what I focus on boils down to how do you present your message? How do you sell your story? So we've all seen the statistics about the small percentage of money, investment dollars that are controlled by women, the even smaller percentage that go, actually goes to women. Um, so what does that mean? You know, that means that when you go into a venture capital or any kind of institutional investor or to an angel or anyone you want to give money, you have to know your story. You have to know why your product or your service is going to solve a problem better, differently, in a unique way, and that, oh, by the way, people are going to pay for it. And that's right. really where the rub is, what I focus on from a sales perspective, is it's one thing to sell your idea to get funding. It's another thing to create a business, which means that people are actually engaging in a transaction to buy your product and service. So I talk a lot about um, sales and what that means. And whether you think of yourself as a salesperson or not, if you're building a business, if you're an entrepreneur, you are a salesperson by definition. Well, absolutely. Best salesperson. <laughs> the second piece I talk about, you know, under the guise of leadership is really understanding how to negotiate. And that is way bigger then when am I going to get paid? What are my stock options? You know, what's my bonus and my, and my vacation schedule? To me, negotiation, a large part of it is understanding the dynamics, which, you know, in my mind, for a uh, negotiation to be successful is not I win, you lose. It's that we both get enough of the important things that we want right. that, you know, that we can move forward. And, you know, historically, women hate negotiating. Not, not all women, but that's sort of the... the the headline that we get. And I like to think of it as an aerobic activity. You know, I like, like to get in and, and figure it out and it's strategic and it's wargaming and how do you figure out what you need and what they need so that you can ultimately get to the finish line. My dad had this great expression um, when he would talk to me about negotiating. He said, yeah, you can win a negotiation, but 50% of nothing is nothing. A third of something actually has some value if there's actually some money associated with it. So winning the negotiation 
isn't the only objective. It's a path on the way to the objective. And yeah. one of the other themes I talk about is networking for business growth. And I mean something very specific by that. You know, certainly in New York, you can go to an event, you can go to lunch, you can go to dinner, you can go to a breakfast every single day of the week. You can spend your time running from meeting to meeting, networking event to networking event. Um, and besides that <clears throat> being probably inefficient and a little bit tiring, um, it's not that great a use of time. So one of the, th not networking, but networking like with this frenzy. Yeah, so yeah. one of the things that I talk about is you need to do a lot of the work before hand to make sure that the places you're investing your time are ones where you might meet someone who will have an impact on your business, who might be of like mind. They could be a partner, a mentor, a mentee, a thought leader. Are there people who are attending this event that might be of some value? Even if you can't define it very specifically, you believe the people in the room, or at least some of them will have some value. The second thing I do, um, and this is very particular to me, and I say this all the time and people laugh, when I go to a networking event, as soon as I meet one or two people with whom I think I will have a follow-up or another conversation, I leave. Yeah, me too. I've ascertained some, obviously that's not the case if I've flown across the country, but if I'm <laughs> local or that, you know, that's just in New York City for one night, and I mean that very seriously. I might have had a half a sip of water and met someone interesting, and I leave at five after seven if the event started at seven. And that, for me, is a way to network and avoid the burnout, knowing that, you know, short and sweet, I'll get some value, and then I'll move on uh, to my next activity. Right. And, and then the last category is, this stuff is hard. You know, an, an investor said to me very early on, you know, entrepreneurship and building businesses, and even I would say living, is not for the faint of heart. This stuff is hard, it can be scary, but if you never ask and you never try, the answer is always no. So yes. I like, to, like you have to be in the game. And if you're in the game, you have a shot. If you're not in the game, you don't have a shot. The only shot you have is that you'll be invisible. <laughs> yeah, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's I mean, constant. you know that as anybody. I think I know more about it than anyone. And that's one of the reasons yeah. I wanted to have this podcast because I know that the struggle is real. It's really hard. And, you know, time is such an issue and women have a even harder time. So I, you know, my hope is having people like you on the show will provide tips and advice to help women not have to go through maybe what we went through. Right. Um, right. So I, I really appreciate that. So um, the other kind of question that I have, and I've been asking all of my guests is, you in particular, like what values do you stand by? You know, you hold very steadfast. Like I have particular values I'm, that I hold steadfast. I'm really directly honest and that's something I don't care if I lose business over it. So, yes. yeah. So I just want to know what are some of the values you stand by in running your own business every day? So the first principle that I've had and that uh, Marianne and I've had for as long as we've been in business, which is over 20 years at this point, is mm -hmm. I do work, work I like with people I like. Oh. That's my headline. And when I say that, it doesn't mean I'm looking for best friends, although if that comes out of it, you know, that's a nice benefit. But the idea is, am I working with people with whom I share some common values? So non-starters, lying, cheating, stealing, anyone I know. And, oh. and that's not... That's not so cataclysmic. I think a lot of people would, would say that, but 
for me, if something on the line, that's not for me. It's not the first day of my career. I'm in, you know, decade three or four. Um, I don't want to work with people who are not direct and are not truthful. So that's number one. The second is I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And I think that also has to do with truthfulness. I don't like to be surprised and I don't surprise. So if I have a problem, identify a problem, I'd like to bring it up with solutions. I might not have the optimal solution, but I don't want to just bring problems. And when I say that that's what I'm going to do, I do it. And when I have people who work with me or for me, I don't want to hear only about the problem. I want to hear about the problem in the context of the solution. Mm -hmm. And the last one for me, and this is sometimes um, controversial, but it has worked for me over time, is I tend to not want to work with or be seen as someone who's high emotional maintenance. You know, my job as a consultant or when I'm um, giving a speech or when I'm working with a company, my job is to help them be successful and make their job easier. What doesn't make their job easier is hearing about my logistics, understanding why this stuff is so hard. My job is to make them shine and vice versa. When I'm working with someone or I've hired a service agent, I want to figure out how we're getting to the business goal. So I really do like to always focus on what are we trying to achieve here and what are the steps that we need to take? Yeah. And beyond that, underpinning all that are the, you know, the values and the fundamental ethics that I learned from my parents is you treat people with respect, you treat people the way you want to be treated. My dad used to always say, you know, you treat everyone with respect, not because that's the right thing to do, um, but it is, but it feels good. It makes other people feel good. And by the way, don't be so smug to think you might not meet them on the way up and the way down. It happens, all the, it happens all the time where I was saying this to someone the other day, you know, don't burn a bridge that you don't want to burn because you right. know, 10 years down the road, it's, and being smug, I love that you said that because in today's world, it's easy to be smug. Everything is digital. I know I own a digital marketing agency. Yes. And, it's, and people are just running around like crazy people trying to get things done. And, you know, there's this whole selfie thing. And so it's easy to be smug. But I, I feel that the business owners that stand out don't. They aren't. And they really do stand by the values that you were talking about, which is respect, which is being authentic which is supporting others and looking to the long term. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I mean, I know that about you, but other people don't. So um, we've enjoyed our collaborations when we've had them. Yeah. Um, so just a couple um, kind of closing questions. One is what specific events do you have coming up or do you see in the future that, um, you know, my audience can attend or see you online and where can they get a sample of the book? Um, so I am happy to offer on my website a free download of the first chapter if they want to just get a glimpse and see if it's their style, or obviously they can buy it on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, um, iBooks. So it's anywhere a normal a book would be. I don't sell on any um, bricks and mortar for a whole bunch of reasons. but So those are two ways. And in terms of what's coming up over the summer, I have quite a number of podcasts that I'm doing that are focused either on mission marketing or women being innovative or, or leadership styles. And that's all on my website, on a calendar. Uh, so I do those probably, you know, every week. 
um, at some point and looking forward again uh, to attending a bunch of conferences in the fall um, and next year working with companies who are interested in this approach to leadership. Okay, great. So for those of you that don't know all of Rachel's amazing things online, so the book first is called Orgasmic Leadership and she is offering a sample, first chapter, on her website where you can read about her events and also read her art. We didn't even get into your Huffington Post stuff and all the great contributions that she does for the female sexual health industry. So the website is sparksolutionsforgrowth.com. We will be sending that out as well. Um, so I, do you have any other closing, maybe one bit of advice for female entrepreneurs that are you know, working hard to become Wonder Women? So this is, a, this is always an easy one because my dad gave me a lot of sort of the, the isms that are in my head. And so the one that I always say is no timeout, no substitution. And that comes from the classic movie Rollerball in 1976 with James Caan, where it was a sport. It was basically a violent roller derby where people, you know, rode around on motorcycles with spikes, with, on skates. And the objective was to put this enormous heavy silver ball into a bullseye that was more like ski ball. And it was very violent and you played to the death and it wasn't exactly a family film, but there was something about it that we found motivating. And before every match, the referee would lay out the rules and he'd say no timeouts, no substitutions. And for that in my family and in my life, that's translated um, into how do you show up? Like you go in, you play hard, you play as long as you can, when you need to take a break, you take a break and you come back the next day, the next week, the next minute and give it your all again. So it has to do with an attitude of perseverance um, and hanging in there and continually being focused on the goal. Yeah. And that ties into what you were talking about. So no timeout, no substitutions. I love it. I live it. You live it. Um, but it also ties into the, all the other things that you were talking about today, which was, you know, really, if you want to play, you got to be in the game. You got to work hard. You have to provide respect for others and work with people that you like, <laughs> um, you know, and be smart about your, your time and making decisions. And I think those are really important tips for entrepreneurs. And I, and I encourage anybody out there that is looking to get in the space of female sexual health and femtech to contact Rachel. She really is the leader in this space. Um, she knows a hell of a lot about running a business too, but I think, uh, I think that you should, it's, I think personally getting to know you, Rachel, I've learned more about the space and I'm more interested in being an advocate. I think that women need to do this, uh, need to support what you're doing to make a change, uh, like the no taxes. I've been saying that forever. Why do we have to pay taxes on something that is health driven that happens every single month? So exactly. <laughs> I think it's silly. So, you know, I want to thank you so much for being on. I know you have a lot to say and we probably should do another episode as this podcast, which is very new, matures into 2020. And, you know, of course, I'll be inviting you to be a speaker at Brand View in 2020. So again, thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the work you do to help um, not just women, but lots of people have a voice and figure out what they stand for and then communicate that message to the world. So thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.